Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, for more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Miracle Monday, and it's June the 13th, 2016. Our call-in number is 646 200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear hearts. And welcome, everybody. We're delighted and honored that you're here to join us once again. Today being Miracle Mondays, we'll be covering some material from A Course in Miracles. If you're not familiar with the course, the course came through a psychologist, actually, that worked at Columbia University. When I say came through, uh, the psychologist and her boss were at odds with each other in the office, and, you know, the the kind of standard environment in, in academia where everybody's at everybody's throats was kind of the game, and one day, apparently, named Helen Shuckman said, you know, there's got to be a better way. Her boss, who had been in conflict with her, Bill Tedford, said, I'll help you find it. And uh, she went home and sat down. This is just the abbreviated version of the story. And a voice inside of her head said, take dictation. This is a course in miracles. And, uh, you know, I don't know, 1,500 pages later, the course had been taken, and uh, that's what we're going to look at. Now, the genius that's there is absolutely awesome. The parallels with the teachings of Yeshua from 2,000 years ago are right on track. And so we're going to listen to a piece of music first. Mary Redonti, who uh, we get to hear every day, who opens and closes the show, is a young lady who we met out in Berkeley several years ago, and she came to two or three workshops and came back and strummed out a tune that she had been uh, writing based on her learning, and by Friday night, if I remember correctly, it was Friday night of that week, we started out on Sunday, and by Friday she had the song written and came and played it for the whole group, and uh, just a few weeks later had it on a, an album, so let's listen to Mary Redonti. And it was actually, she heard the Why Is This Happening to Me Again on Creating Consciously and Healing Through Relationships and wrote it. So you can hear those three lessons in her song. It's called Evolve. Have you ever wondered why? 
of work, Mary. Very, very uh, powerful the way she's, uh, she's put that together. And uh, thank you. And once again, welcome. It's a delight to have you with us as we take a look at a lesson from A Course in Miracles. And the lesson I've selected to look at today is Lesson 184. So if you have your uh, textbook ready, you might want to uh, Hold that out. The title of the lesson is, What is the World? And as we realize that we are creators, we get the Uh, opportunity to take... Yes, sweetheart. Unless yours is different from My Course in Miracles 184 is the name of God is my inheritance. And what is the world's 241? 
Well, well, I'm I'm heading toward Einstein here. Okay. We're we're covering we're covering 184, but uh, I haven't started into the lesson yet. Okay. So. So to start out and look at the uh, the truth about what is going on in the world, and you know everything is based on this idea of the difference between the worlds, which is one of the reasons why that's one of the the newest videos that we've done. What is the world? And to recognize, if we listen to Einstein, that he knew what he was talking about. He was right in harmony, teaching a course in miracles, as does the CIA, interestingly enough. So let's listen to Einstein's word, words. One, he starts with and says, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. So recognizing the truth of that statement, the mind presents us with its delusions, its pictures, a whole world that we see, and we think that that world is the world that we're living in. And the only place we're living in that optical delusion world is in our mind. We are not living in it in fact. Einstein tells us that on such things as matter, we have been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy. Energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the world. There is no matter. Now, the whole world thinks that playing in a world of matter. They think that they're working with this material stuff that causes things and does something other than reflect effects. So living in the optical delusion, everything the mind shows us is an effect. And if we buy those effects, then we think those effects are real and true, and we are guided by them. So this lesson starts out and says, you live by symbols. So everything in the effect world is a symbol. It it is the mind's representation of something actual, but it is not the thing itself. When I say that the uh, CIA is teaching A Course in Miracles, you can go to the CIA's website and God only knows how many millions or maybe billions of dollars they spent studying perception and their bottom line conclusion. And if you just put this quote into a search engine CIA, you'll find the book that you can download free from the CIA's website. And their conclusion about perception was this. We do not record reality the mind does not record reality the mind constructs reality so we have two different worlds we're playing with here again tying back to that world of that lesson on what is the world we have a capital W world the truth of what's going on we have a little w world the symbols in our minds the world we see and the world we see holds us in separateness in a material world And if we are guided by those images in the mind, 
then we're guided by symbols of what's actually going on. The symbol that our mind shows us of each other is that we are bodies. Now, if you were standing in front of me and you were to open your eyes and you could see beyond the symbols your mind creates, if you could see me as I actually am, for want of better terms, because there aren't words to describe the true actuality, but kind of a symbol to get away from the symbol to move us toward the truth of it, if you were to be able to see who I was in actuality rather than in your reality, you would see a whirring mass of electrons, protons, neutrons, and light. You would not see a body. But everything that's happened to us that we don't like and don't want to deal with, we tend to blame someone else for, if you haven't noticed. You know, how many live in a world of you made me mad, you made me sad, you made me angry, you hurt me, that upset me, this disturbed me. They really just, on and on goes the conversation. And recognize that that is the act of denial. Denial is a really important key to understand in the process of healing. And the definition we use for denial is when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of something inside of me, then I'm in denial. Here's why denial is so important. The mind is an evidential device and only gives you the evidence that you give it permission to. And you give permission with your words. So if you say, you made me mad, then what happens is the underlying energy, the part of you that holds this madness, energetically becomes the energy with which you build your brain's picture of me. And I, Michael, show up as the symbol of your mad part. If I come to you and you find yourself being very happy and you think I'm the cause of your happiness, then you may say, Michael, you make me really happy. And so when I make you happy, I become the symbol of your happiness. But your happiness is caused by the energy within you that's moving within you. Your anger is caused by the energy within you that's moving in you. Your fear is caused by the energy that's moving in you. But when in denial, Michael, you make me afraid, you'll build a body out of your fear that you call Michael, and I'll show up, or what you think is me will show up, a symbol of me will show up in your mind, made out of your fear, and you'll think I'm actually the cause of your fear. And then you will name me as the cause of your fear. And then my symbol of your fear my body in your mind, and it's interesting because I've been in a room where, just to simplify the example, there have been two people, and what I say makes, quote-unquote, makes one person happy and makes the other person mad. So the same person with the same words now becomes a symbol in two different minds. One becomes a symbol of anger, and one becomes a symbol of happiness. And they argue, no, Michael's a good guy, he makes me happy. No, Michael's a bad guy, he makes me mad. And Michael 
doesn't have anything to do with the process except to be the stimulus to move whatever's moving in us. What we deny, what we think or speak about as being caused by something outside of us forces the mind to produce a symbol of that thing and that thing becomes the symbol of what's going on inside of us and most people live their lives totally and completely oblivious to the truth of it and live by symbols and then it this lesson goes on to say you've made up names for everything you see so Michael becomes the angry maker or the happy maker and Harry becomes the sad maker or the glad maker and you know on and on goes the list by doing this what happens is you separate me out from the rest of the world. You separate each person out according to what they resonate in you and therefore what they symbolize in your mind. So the lesson goes on to say each one becomes a separate entity identified by its own name. And then it tells you exactly what happens. And let's go back to Einstein. If you think you're separate or separate, you're living in an optical delusion. So this lesson goes on to say, but this you card out of unity. By this, you designated special attributes and set it off from other things, emphasizing the space surrounding it. So now what is actually unified, you create a symbol in your mind of whatever it is you don't want to be responsible for, and you make that symbol out of the energy that's moving in you. And it creates a world of separation. This act of denial creates a world of separation where we cannot experience the world as it is. Now, how deep is this in its impact? Well, if you think back to, or if you've been a parent, how many arms have been a parent? How many times did you say to your child as you pointed to your nose, nose, pointed to your eye, eye? Point of your hair and said hair, forehead, nose, chin, cheek, lips, mustache. Ladies probably didn't say that. Hopefully didn't have to say that. Teeth, tongue, chin, nose, eye. How many times? A million times. Now, a good hypnotist can take somebody inside of three minutes flat and have them seeing things that aren't there. Have their brain producing symbols for what that hypnotist implanted in them or resonated in them. And at the command of words, those symbols come forward. And people see things that aren't there. People see things that didn't happen. And, you know, when the ancients said transcend, they weren't saying float off in space somewhere. They were saying put an end to the state of trance. Get out of hypnosis. So it emphasizes the space and the separateness, and that way we get to get away from being cause of what's going on within us. And then this lesson goes on to say, this space you lay between all things to which you give a different name, all happenings in terms of place and time, all bodies which are greeted by a name. This space you see is setting off all things from one another, 
is the means by which the world's perception is achieved. If you remember when we talked about that lesson, what is the world? Perception was made to deny entrance to the world that the creator gave us in creation. When there's something we didn't want to own, something we didn't want to be responsible for, something we didn't want to deal with, we hid the energy behind that from ourselves as being our own and set up a whole world, a whole game that has nothing to do with the truth of what's happening. And this has gone on in each individual life since early, early childhood. Notice that we tend, all of us, to use the language that our culture has taught us. And our culture has, you know, how many had a parent that when they were upset with the child said, you know, son, I really have a lot of anger right now. And my mind is telling me my anger is about you, that you made me mad. But the truth is, I have anger, and what I'd like to do is heal my anger. None of us had that as kids. What did our parents do? Well, you really made me mad, and you should go to your room. The most responsible parent, when you violated a goal that they had, Did they speak responsibly for what was going on inside of them? Or did they tell you what you did wrong and straighten you out? Well, the way the world's perception works is that it replaces the truth of the connectedness of the oneness that we all share. So the Course goes on here to say, you see something where nothing is. And see as well nothing where there is unity, a space between all things, between all things and you. Thus do you think that you have given life in separation. By this split, you think you are established as a unity which functions with an independent will. In other words, as Einstein said, you think you're separate and separated from the rest of humanity. How long has this been going on? Well, from the very earliest times in your life. But that's not really where it started, Because your genes and your generations, go read the history books 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200, 300, 400, 500, 1,000, 2,000 years ago, and what was everybody doing? You made me mad. You made me sad. I need to make war on you. I need to take your country. You're going to try to take my country. You're going to try to depose me. I'm going to – and so genetically, we've been brainwashed with this world of separation – where if we didn't carve everything we see out of unity, we would experience the unity of being connected to everything and everyone. You and I can't separate from each other if we wanted to, because we are part of one energy system. In the ancient teachings, they talked about the mystical body of Christ. And that was speaking of the oneness that was incomprehensible to everybody because the world everybody saw were symbols of things they didn't want to deal with. And this has been going on so long and it's so deep that we end up feeling according to the thoughts we hold that keep us in separation. The extreme result of that is people get into a space of, you know, this is such a painful place to be, I don't even want to live, and they commit suicide. 
with no knowledge that all the pain they're experiencing has to do with their own creative process. And if they were to change that creative process, and of course to do though, they'd have that they'd have to take on the generations. Then taking on the generations means forgiving forgiving, forgiving, that is removing all of the energies and perceptions based in separation until we get back to the truth of who we are. When you are back to the truth of who you are, and how do you, how do you tell? Where, where are you going, Michael? What, what is the truth of who we are? If you've held the newborn child, you know the truth of who you are. And Jeannie and I have asked the question, describe the essence of your newborn in one word, we've asked that question of tens of tens of thousands of people all over the globe, and 100% of the time, everybody's answer is some variation on the theme of love. So the truth is, we come into the world all in precisely the same state. We come into the world as the unity that we are designed to be. There's only one of us. And when I, the person tells me that their child is made of the stuff called love, then I ask them the question so that we can clear up the language. Is the child loving you? And everybody cocks their head for a minute and thinks about it and says, well, no, the child is love. Then why are you sitting around waiting for somebody to love you? Why are you telling people that you love them? That's all language based in the fraud of false perception. You have never loved anyone and nobody's ever going to love you. Why do you say that, Michael? Because love is a state of being. Experience the newborn and notice that they are a unity with a state of being. They are not loving the people around them the people around them experience them as love. And then as soon as that child comes into the world, the world starts to put its thumbprints on it and says, hey, come on, let us teach you a language of separation. Let us teach you all the symbols of the world and all the words that are the symbols of the symbols of the world. And then you'll get lost in the world of false perception just like we are. And you'll be able to blame everybody else when you're in pain and when you're in trauma. And when you deal with the thing that you've inherited from me that I didn't want to deal with and my father and his father and his father before him didn't want to deal with, then you'll be able to blame somebody else too. And it might just happen to be your kids or your spouse, the people you say you love. Well, excuse me. Stop trying to love your children, your parents, your neighbors, your friends. That's a fraud. Be, strive to be love in their presence. Strive to experience yourself as love when you look in the mirror. And then you'll be experiencing the truth of who you are. When we experience ourselves as who we are, rather than experiencing from all the generational thoughts, the drama, the trauma, the hate, the fear, the symbols of separation... And the feelings that go with that separation, which are quite painful, then you get to start to feel from the state of being. And every cell 
in your structure will celebrate in ecstasy and delight the state that we're designed to live in. But as long as you hold something you've dissociated from, something you're in denial about, and it's the denial that creates the dissociation, then whatever you've dissociated from, you'll use that energy to build your brain's image of someone or something else, and they will become the symbol of what you're feeling and that you don't want to deal with. So this game of separation sets things off from everything else, and it's the means, this lesson says, by which the world's perception is achieved. You see something where nothing is. So you see a body that's the problem in your life that's making you mad. And then it says, and you see as well, nothing where there is a unity. So you look at the space between you and them and you say, well, there's space. You're over there and I'm over here. And so, but if you can alter the rate of vibration in which your eye receives energy, you, you'd see the energy that connects you with that person. There would not be a space between you. You'd see that connectedness. So we see, instead of a unity, a space between all things, between all things and ourselves. So the course of this lesson goes on to say, what are the names by which the world becomes a series of discrete events of things ununified, of bodies kept apart and holding bits of mind as separate awarenesses? You gave these things names and you established perception as which you, pardon me, as you wished to have perception be. The nameless things were given names, and thus reality was given them as well. Go back and remember in the Old Testament, they talk in the creation story about giving Adam and Eve the right to name things. Well, you can name it. And when you name it, you'll maybe out of the energy that's moving in you, and you'll make a picture of them out of that energy, and they will become a symbol for what you haven't dealt with. Or they'll become a symbol for what you want. So I have this special relationship with the thing I want. So I go, oh, you need to come and give me more of that. But over time, when you realize it's not that person that has that thing that you want, then when they're not giving you, you know it's they who have what you want, and they're not giving you what you want, i.e. they're not fulfilling your goals. This is why goals are so important in the forgiveness process. Then they'll become the symbol of what you fear or enraged about. And you'll say to your spouse instead of, darling, I love you, I cherish you, I will cherish you forever. It becomes, don't touch me, don't come near me, I never want to see you again. Because when I am in pain and I'm in denial of my pain, this person that I'm blaming for my pain becomes the symbol that I project my pain into and build my brain's image of them. And so the non-being mind, the ego, can switch the people it blames or accepts on a minute's notice. So here are the nameless things given names, and thus reality is given as well. For what is named is given meaning and will be seen as meaningful, the cause of true effect, with consequence inherent in itself. In other words, you've been given the power to name everything. If you make this person the cause of your anger, then 
your mind will hallucinate, will build a whole world where they're the cause of your anger. But, but here's one of the interesting things is you'll notice that if you take the geographic here, you know, you go to the other side of the country will be, where people will be different, and that person that dropped you off at the airport will, will finish, or the person who picks you up at the airport will finish the sentence that the person that dropped you off started. How do they know how to do that? Because you're carrying with you what it is you don't want to deal with. It's not done to you by someone else. But it's been going on so long, and we've created this integrated understanding and belief about the world that shows us that it's all somebody else's fault. But once you realize that you've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people, you have to start to think to yourself, well, gee, you know, I used to think that this was caused by Harry. But now that I'm experiencing it with Mary, maybe it isn't Harry. Maybe it's Mary. Oh, no, it's Bill. Well, now I've got Hortense doing with me, so it must be Hortense. Well, wait a minute. Make up your mind. Was it Bill, Harry, Mary, or Hortense? No. You'll notice you're the only one that was there every time. It's about you. It's your opportunity to get past the insanity of blaming everybody else and to start to shift and change what's going on within you. Take responsibility and access the truth, and you start to see that there's another direction that you can go. So this is the way reality, now remember the difference between reality and actuality. Reality is the perception going on in my mind, the world I live in. So I've got two people, I say a phrase, and one person gets happy, and one person gets angry, and one person creates a symbol, and I'm the cause of their happiness, and one is the cause. Each of them is experiencing their own reality based upon an actuality that is neither. So this is the way reality is made by partial vision, purposefully set against the given truth. Its enemy is wholeness. So... For one who's convinced, and, you know, you listen to the conversations, and we hold a space for all of the people who are suffering over this latest atrocity in Orlando. We hold a space for those who are injured and hopefully recovering. We hold a space for those who died. We hold a space for everybody present in that event where bringing the active presence of love opens a space for healing. However, when one is in the space of being convinced that somebody else is the cause of what's going on within their own minds, what will happen is that when wholeness comes, when the truth that would bring this awesome, sweet presence of love and ecstasy comes, it will become the enemy. Because if I'm committed to not feeling directly or being responsible for my pain, and I've made up a symbol that I call you for my pain, or you're the one I'm currently putting my pain on, and you'll notice, you know, the person in your life that today you're perhaps saying, yeah, they just make me so mad. Well, how long have you known that person? Oh, five years. Well, tell me something. 
Let's go back in your life six years ago. Did you know that mad six years ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was Harry that was causing it six years ago. Oh, okay, okay. No. Now, how long have you known Harry? Oh, I knew Harry for five years. Okay, so now we're back 11 years ago. Let's go back 12 years ago. Did you know this, Mad? Oh, yeah, that was Hortense. Hortense, I mean, yeah, she made me so mad that I just could hardly stand it. It's like, have you noticed yet that every time you've been mad, you're the one who's been there? Maybe your mad isn't about them. Maybe your mad is about the content of your own mind. And maybe if you'd stop blaming, maybe if you'd start taking responsibility, your words would be different. And if your words were different, your perception would be different because your words instruct your mind how to build your reality, how to build your perception, the world that you see. So invite what the the mind of separation and what we call the non-being mind, the mind where love is not present, invite that mind to accept and invite wholeness into it. Because the non-being mind, the mind of this separation and blame, the Course says it conceives of little things and looks upon them. And a lack of space, a sense of unity or vision that sees differently become threats which it must overcome conflict with and deny. And and even when people, I, I've actually had a conversation going on with someone on Facebook over this event happening in Orlando, and again, we hold the space of love for everybody involved. But in this conversation, this person's sure that there's terrorism and that we have to fight. And the energy that comes up of commitment to, of dedication to, no, somebody outside of us is the enemy, is just huge. And at this point, with this level of recognition, the Course says, yet there's this other vision remain a natural direction for the mind to channel its perception. It is hard to teach the mind a thousand alien names and thousands more, yet you believe this is what learning means. It's one essential goal by which communication is achieved and concepts can be meaningfully shared. And so generation upon generation upon generation is supposed to be faithful to the perceptions of the past. And those things become a way of being faithful to the good old family feeling. You listen to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, and, you know, some people use these passages to justify war. And you hear Yeshua says, I come to bring a sword to separate father from daughter, father from son. What's he saying? He's saying there, I want to show you how to cut yourself off from the generational beliefs that what you're experiencing is everybody else's fault and that if you could experience yourself as the truth of who you started out to be and still are as the active presence of love, then instead of 
living out of the perception to the past, you would bring, and this is where, you know, the Greeks interpret him as saying is love your brother or love your enemy, do good to your enemy. If you could bring the active presence of love to your own mind in that situation of disturbance and upset, then that situation of disturbance and upset becomes the space where you get to be restored to the active presence of love. This is the genius of Yeshua saying, and he's not saying love as in bleeding heart, love them, but rather be love with those who hate you. Do good to those who despitefully use you. If you could actually bring your true essence love into true full activity in the presence of what you call the enemy, all of the energetic dynamics of separate perception, blame, guilt, fear, anger, rage around that particular person would have to dissolve in you. And most people don't want to let it go because they think that that is life itself when the fact is it's death. And this person that I'm sharing about, that I've been communicating about around this, has experienced literally such monumental healing from the presence of love literally going from a space of excruciating pain to bliss and ecstasy in an hour of still point breathing and living in that space. And yet, having tasted it and experienced it, when the old brain cells start firing, forget, ah, it is possible for me to be in this situation where there is what appears to be insanity going on in the world, it is possible that I could bring the active presence of love forward. And if I did, then I would shatter every frequency that's less than love in me, that's moving in me, and I would become free of it. So there is another vision that's a natural direction to go. And that's what we're working toward. Yet, does this other vision still remain a natural direction for the mind to channel its perception? It is hard to teach the mind a thousand alien names and thousands more, yet you believe this is what learning means. It's one essential goal by which communication is achieved and concepts can be meaningfully shared. So everything that we've been taught to believe, what the Course is saying here, we cherish and we value so much that we really don't want to give it up. And if we're not willing to give it up, then what happens is we get stuck in it. Our objective here is not only to give it up, but to move way, way, way beyond it to be able to forgive, to be able to remove what never belonged, and then to be able to move forward in the truth. 
And the truth is that you are this awesome, active presence of love. And when you recognize that, you can shift everything that goes on in you to that presence of love. The key tool is forgiveness. The key tool is the removal of what never belonged. And that's what we're here to work with. And seeing as how we've chewed up 45 minutes of our time, what I'm going to do is create a space for some questions so that if anyone has a question, we can tap into that question and offer some support, see if there are refinements to be offered. And what we'll do is we'll continue working with this Lesson 184 uh, next Monday. So, Jeannie, uh, is there anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anybody? Chat uh, rooms are quiet. Nobody has a hand up. Well, then let's open the phone lines to see if anybody is interested in in any feedback on anything that I've said so far or has any questions about it. Our call-in number is 646. Oh, cool. Then let's say hello. Area code 707, you're on the air. Hi there, it's Julie from Trump. How you doing? Very well. Welcome, young lady. Oh, there you are. Okay, I thought I lost you. Um, really enjoying your show this morning. I enjoyed also, was it last week or the week before, um, the conversation regarding thoughts and feelings, which has always confused me, but I wanted to um, acknowledge that it has helped me out to understand it better. Thank you. Awesome. a little bit of an update because I'm guilty. Um, we spoke on April 22nd, and you gave me some tool, a tool to work with. And since right. then, I'm doing exactly what you're talking about, and that is I'm holding on to it all. And I think uh. what happens is, yeah, hold on here. Sorry, hold on. Breathe. Um, I think... What happened is, is I got overwhelmed with all the junk, you know, and all these years of stuff and in and, and the sexual assault, and I grabbed onto it, and I've been basically not doing very well since then. I've been doing a lot of crying, been upset, a little bit rebellious, um, you know, to the whole scenario, and I feel like, and I'm hoping it's me doing a withdrawal from holding on to it. Does that make sense? And so I'm, I have been holding on to it, and I'm just having a real difficult time of letting it all go so I can get back to the person that I've always been this happy-go-lucky, bubbly person, and now I just right. feel miserable. Miserable. Right, miserable. I hear you. So, yeah, and I'm holding on to it. I'm aware of that. I'm just... I'm just overwhelmed, and I just don't know which way to go, Michael. I'm having a tough time. Okay. Well, then, everything you talked about today was me, so I'm a prime example. So if you can help out, <laughs> that would be great. Thanks. I can. I can. Are you doing worksheets around what's going on for you? I've done some. I'm not doing as many as I should because, once again, okay. the overwhelmness of it all has right. just I, yes. I just sit down and start crying. I hear you. So 
my offering would be that, you know, the event you're talking about, uh, you've shared with us previously. So I suspect that that happening in your life aroused in you issues from unresolved early life energies Mm. and or Mm -hmm. genetic energies. You know, you hear this story in the scriptures about the flood. And oftentimes when you start lifting back the veil, what was called the veil of the temple, the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious, you start to, you, you let loose a flood of things that, you know, who knows when the last time anybody in the generations opened that and looked at it. Who knows when the last time was that people uh, did anything other than stuff in, stuff in, stuff, 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 put it down there, put it down there, don't look, don't deal, don't feel, take a drink, grab a smoke, you know, eat some sugar, do some junk food, you know, take a Valium, do something to keep from feeling. And so if you're the first one in the bloodline who said, all right, I'm going to start to peel this back and work through it, it can be a veritable flood, a literal overwhelm and overload. So what I would suggest well, that you do... I am the first one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So what I would suggest you do for one thing is to be gentle with yourself, let yourself breathe. There's, a, there's a, uh, an exercise we do in the intensives that's called a love exchange. And the love exchange is a tool where we invite each person to get quiet, close their eyes, go inside, and find the deepest, clearest love they can. For many people, they, it helps them if they think about a newborn, their newborn, or the time that they held a newborn, and it may be a, a favorite scene in nature, it may be a kitten, whatever it is that can move you to that space of love, to take time and get connected with that. And mm-hmm. then open, open your eyes and look in a mirror and hold to that presence of love and breathe. Now, unfortunately, you're too far away. Can't put my hands on uh, through the phone to do energy field work and, and take you through the still point process to soften and open this overwhelm. But allow yourself to keep flooding in and bringing in, you know, whenever you find yourself in disturbance, do the best you can to tap into that presence of love and let yourself breathe and begin to burn off all of the energy of the generations related to that assault. And to the best of your ability, keep bringing the presence of love in. And as you do that and scenarios come to mind to the best of your ability once again, look at what it is that you wanted from whoever the object of the upset is, whether it's yourself or the person involved in this assault or somebody else in your world, and, and look at what it is you want from them that seems to be the, the main focus of the energy at that moment and just cancel your need for it. You know, gee, you know, I wanted my husband to come home from work and just put his arm around me and say how much he cherishes me. And just hold me mm-hmm. and cancel your need from that. And, and as you cancel your need from that, know that there is a power in you that in Aramaic was called Ruka Dukutcha. You don't have to do this on your own. 
It takes time sometimes to learn to connect with that power. But Rukhatikutsha are the words that the ancient teachings uh, presented as the Holy Spirit. There's nothing about a disembodied spirit there, but rather there is literally a feminine elemental force in you that when you invite her into activity will help you to move that energy, help you to burn off that energy. And let yourself be with that burning off. Yeah. And if you're the first in the generations and you recognize what the generations have carried, it can take some significant time to let yourself process through those layers. You know, I used the example, I don't know if you were on the show a short time ago, but I used the example of, uh, you know, I sometimes will take a, a clear a jug of water and I'll use some water paints and I'll take the paintbrush and rub it in some black paint and put it in the water and some brown and some red and some green and all of a sudden the water's so murky you can't see anything. And that's the way the average person is with their perception. They're looking through, you know, Paul said we'd see as though through a glass darkly. They're looking at everything through these muddied waters and they don't see anything as it actually is. Everything is colored or uh, muted by the presence of those interfering energies in the water. And then what I'll do is I'll take then a larger container of water. I'll start pouring in clean, clear water. And after a while of pouring in the clean, clear water, which would be bringing the presence of love into that, what happens is the water starts to clear up. It displaces the murky uh, you know, water with the paint in it, and it starts to get clearer and clearer and clearer. It takes time. You don't undo a thousand generations of the kind of insanity that's going on in the world in a minute. It's a process. Question. It takes time. Question. Go for it. Well, you're saying it takes time, and I understand that. And, and I'm willing to spend that time being the first of all generations to, you know, make this change and shift. But meanwhile, I still want to be able to deal with my initial issues so I could get out of my, you know, being down in the bottom of the world, it seems like sometimes, and get myself back on track to get some energy and strength and some of that essence of love back in me. And to work on it, you know, the way you're saying, generationally, that fascinates me, as you know. We've talked about that. But I need, it's not a quick fix, but I need something to get me going at my end first before all this generational work gets done. And that's where I think sometimes I'm getting overwhelmed. Well, it is overwhelmed. That is what happens when people start to, you know, the Greeks said, oh, don't ever open Pandora's box. You don't know what you're going to find in there. And when they told us that, which is a symbol, the Pandora's box, which is a symbol for the unconscious. The one thing they didn't tell us when they said that was that your whole life becomes Pandora's box, that you'll pull the experiences and situations in that will reinforce what is there. You know, I love how Carl Jung said it. He said, anything that we deny and don't deal with will show up as experiences in our lives. Because energetically, we create that in the ancient scriptures. They said, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. What you hold within your store 
energetically, the predominant resonance energy of that is what's going to tend to draw experiences. And if the predominant resonance energy is one of dissociated pain and trauma, then what will tend to show up is painful and traumatic experiences that will reinforce and justify that. And so patience becomes a piece of the process and letting yourself go through what you need to go through. And see, when the assault happened shortly thereafter, I put myself into counseling, you know, in order to try and absolve some of the issues, you know, around that. Right. But in doing so, and you say Pandora's box, oh, my gosh. I opened up that box and everything has flooded out. So what I'm doing, and as I'm talking here and you're talking, I'm making sense. I latched onto the assault blamed it for all the garbage that came out of Pandora's box. Huh? And that's what I'm doing and that's where I'm not letting go. Is that, am I making sense now? Am I getting there? I'll tell you what, could, could you, I, I apologize. My phone disconnected when you started what you just said, when we finished our last, okay. my last statement. So could you just repeat that thought? I apologize. My phone, I had to dial back in real no, quick. No, that's okay. And I can't. Um, after the assault, okay. I put myself into counseling. And um, in doing so, I opened up Pandora's box for all the garbage that happened to me from the time my dad died to this, 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 and this. Consequently, I have now used the assault and am holding on to it more than I need be because I, I keep holding on to all the ill feelings and all the garbage and everything else. And so that assault has become the, the nucleus of all my problems. Well, and if you look at this lesson, and unfortunately we're down to the last 60 seconds or so, so I'm going to give you a quick answer, and I would love it if right at the start of the show tomorrow, if you've got this space, let's pick up this conversation and see what support we can give you. Remember the, um, the opening of this lesson was you live by symbols. So this assault mm-hmm. I would offer became the symbol that your mind attached all of this energy too. And when you opened it, Mm -hmm. it all just came to a head around that issue. And so as you work through the different layers that probably had nothing to do with the assault, but had to do with times when you or someone in your bloodline felt like they'd been assaulted, this particular event becomes the symbol for all of it. And, you know, it becomes an octopus with so many tentacles. We, we do a thing, oh oftentimes gosh, yeah. we'll talk about a, a hydra worksheet. And the hydra worksheet, if you remember in Greek mythology, the hydra was the creature. And we're down to 10 seconds, we're going to lose it. But let's pick it up tomorrow with the explanation of the hydra. I'll call tomorrow. And in the meantime, I'll we'll hold tomorrow. you in a blessing. Great. We'll look forward to it. Thank you. Blessings. Bye-bye.